of That's Anita Live. I'm Anita, your host, and this week we're tackling the topic of turning your mess into a message. Ms. Davida J. Park is in studio with us today to share how she turned her mess into a message. Her words, not mine. Davida is a survivor of molestation, homelessness, and becoming a mother at the tender age of 14. With tireless effort, she's risen to author the book, Living Life Through an Open Window, and she's organized a nonprofit named I Just Want to Help. Welcome, Davida, to the show. How are you? Good. How are you? Just fine. Thanks for coming in for that Anita Live. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Where do you want to get started? Because you got a lot going on. I do have a lot going on. So do on. you? Let's, let's start <laughs> at the earliest age. Mm -hmm. So what is the earliest age of a memory of your experiences, whether it's the homelessness or the molestation? The earliest age for um, of memory would be, I'd have to take it back to eight years old, where wow. the molestation started, okay. um, and which continued until I was about maybe 13 years old. Was it someone you knew? Oh yes, it was Family my stepfather. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. were, were any charges filed? There were or? charges filed against him, but that wasn't until later when he attempted to molest my daughter. So tell me this, mm -hmm. who was the first person you told? Um, I didn't tell anybody. I sort of played around at school um, because, you know, you're eight years old. So in your mind, you're thinking this is happening in other homes as well. So you're thinking that it's like a, you know, a common thing. So we were um, at recess and one of my friends were talking and she said, you know, my dad kisses me. And so I'm like, oh. Hey, well, my dad kisses me too, you know? And then she's like, yeah, you know, he gives me hugs. And I said, yeah, my dad gives me hugs too. But then she kind of, she's like, you know, she didn't ask me like what else. I kind of blurted it out. I'm like, yeah, and he touches me on my butt. And she's like, no, that doesn't happen. So I just immediately just kind of shut, shut down. It didn't say anything. I was like, oh, I'm just joking, you know? Um, but to actually tell somebody like to confide, yes. no, I didn't feel like I could. So how did your family find out? My family found out when um, my daughter, it was Christmas time, and we were all in the living room playing around, and she had hopped on my brother's lap, but the way she did it was like in a, it was a very inappropriate way. Okay. And he kind of pushed her off. How old was she? She was maybe five. Okay. Um, so he pushed her off, and I jumped, and I said, well, where did you get that from? And he's like, where did you get that from? You know, so we're both tag teaming. Mm -hmm. We're upset because, you know. The memories for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even though, yeah. yeah. And even though he didn't molest my brother, he was very abusive towards my brother. Okay. So we would always beat him and stuff like that. So um, I think we were both thinking it, but we didn't say anything. Uh -huh. um, and she kind of, you know, went into a shell and my sister who was there also came in and talked to her. And that's how we found out that he was actually touching her too. So when you and your brother reacted in that way, did it scare your daughter to the point it that she It scared her. She did not want to talk yeah, to us. Yeah. It was just like, <laughs> you know, wait a minute. You know, and then she just kind of, um, she just kind of went off and then my sister came and talked to her. 
And then my aunt came in and she's like, this is why you don't sit on a man's lap. You never sit on a man's lap, you know. Um, but it's that thing where you don't want her to feel like she did something wrong because she's, she's five, you know. Um, but that's when all hell broke loose, literally. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, because even though I didn't have the strength to say anything for myself, this was my kid, yes. you know, um, which so, takes so it to a whole different, whole level, different level, whole different level. I just knew I was going to jail and I didn't have a problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't have a problem mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. So yeah. how did he get from there to charges actually being filed? The charges were filed because, um, I mean, it was my kid. So of course, being a mother, you can't let that slide. Um, but of course, I, I received a lot of backlash from my family um, in the sense of, you know, if it happened, you know, you're not supposed to go outside of the family and talk about it. We keep it indoors. I didn't want to keep it indoors because now this joker feels like he could do whatever he wants. He's on the top of the world, With right? Whomever. With whomever. With whomever. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, but then it later came out that he was just messing with everybody, a lot of people within the family. And no one wanted to say anything because they wanted to protect my mom. Um, which, by the way, my mom and I are really close, so I, I'll never say anything ill against my mother. Okay. So, um, but yeah, that that was it was a mess. It was a huge mess. So that whole turning your mess into a message, yeah, that was a mess. It really was. Okay, yeah. and then between eight and fourteen was the homelessness, or did homelessness happen after fourteen? It happened after fourteen because once all of that happened, and I feel like I'm skipping over things, but like to really give you the meat of everything, once he did what he did, um, of course, we could no longer have contact with anybody. Like, they couldn't have, including my mom. So they couldn't have contact with us. We couldn't have contact with them. Um, and you said them. You mean you couldn't have contact with your mother? I couldn't have contact because she chose to stay with him. Mm -hmm. So after everything happened, um, after everything happened, she went back and I remember and I asked her I said mom you're going to go home with him and this was when he um <laughs> it's not funny Lord forgive me for laughing but but when I mean, but it's a testament to it is a testament it, it is and not you can it talk really about it is. and not fall apart right it really which means is. that you can now tell your story to bless and to bless others. yes yes and that's why I always do it but there was one particular day where we had went to this place in Upper Marlboro um, it was on, on um, Richie, Richie Road, and it was like this house. And in this house, there it was, um, I can't remember the name of it. It's not there anymore. But basically, the police was there, um, and it was like a, 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 a program that they had for PG County for kids that were sexually assaulted, for victims that were sexually assaulted. And we were in there, and the police officer, I'll never forget, he said, Davida, are you going to press charges? And I said, yes. And he said, please don't let them, you know, talk you out of pressing charges. And I said, I'm not. And um, he said, you know, we'll definitely set it up. So basically they did a stakeout on our house, right? So our, my grandmother's house was right across the street from a church. And so this particular morning, um, we saw like some cars and, and vans across the street at the church, right? Yeah. So my sister's on the couch and she's like, oh, there's a lot of activity going on across the street. Didn't think anything of it. We went on about our day. I see the van, which is my mom and my stepfather coming in the yard. And the next thing you know, it's like something out of cops. This is like, like six or seven vans come flying in behind. He takes off trying, trying to try and run. 
And we're like, where, this, where is he going? Like, they have you right. surrounded at this point. Where right. are you going? Um, and they took him out. My mom was there. She was, of course, she was devastated because that now that humiliation is everywhere. Everyone knows now what's going on. And I remember him being gone for a little bit, maybe like two months, and then him coming back. And then um, I remember her getting in the van, the same van they, they cornered him in with, and I said, you're going to go home with them? And she turned back, the way her face looked, her face, it was just as if someone had just killed her or killed someone close to her in the family. Like she knew she had to make this decision and she really didn't want to go, but she kind of felt compelled that she had to go. And she said, yes, like a very somber, like she was defeated, yes. And I just, I let it go, um, which was, for me, looking back, it's kind of, I think that was like the beginning of my healing, so to speak, because I think she wanted to, she wanted to come with me or she wanted to be with me, but because she was so broken, I can't, I can't negate the fact that she was broken. Um, she felt like she made the right choice and he felt, um, the look on his face was like, hmm, I told you but it wasn't what he thought it was. You know what I mean? Like he really thought that he had won, that he had the victory over me, um, over that entire situation, but he didn't. Um, but I, it's always a bigger picture. It is, it's always a bigger picture. But in essence, I felt like I had the victory because even though no one did anything for me, I did something for my daughter. Um, so I, I don't regret any of that at all. But you did something Not for the whole family because as you stated, it wasn't just you or your daughter that mm -hmm. were victims. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. we're out with friends. Mm-hmm. How did we discover that we were with child at 14? Oh, gosh. I, <laughs> I went to this clinic. It was Forestville Pregnancy Center, which is still in Forestville. It's just moved down the street. Um, and my sister actually took me. And I think she... In her mind, that was a huge secret to hold, right? Now, wait a minute. What even put it on your mind? What made you think that you had to go and find out? Oh, I was fast, honey. After all of that happened to me, I was fast. But did you feel changes in your body? Um, did you? Here's why I'm asking the question. For the 14-year-old right now mm -hmm. that is out there mm -hmm. that has absolutely no one to confide in or talk to, mm -hmm. does she feel changes in her body? Is it that she just misses her monthly? What is it? What was the first inclination within internally in yourself that said, wait a minute, something is different or something's not right? I think when my sister told me that my breasts were getting bigger and I, 14 years old, you don't think about that right. stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then your cycle isn't regular anyway. Um, so, I'll, you know, I really didn't pay attention to my cycle changing. The only thing I noticed was I was, my stomach was getting bigger um, and my breasts were getting bigger. Those are the only two things okay. that made me even think something was wrong. So and your sister said, mm, mm-mm. Yes, mm. she did. At first she said, you're losing weight. <laughs> and the next thing you know, she's like, wait a minute, you're gaining weight. And it's, you're gaining weight right here and, and up in here. What is the age difference between you and your sister? Oh, gosh. She's gonna kill me when I say this. The old lady is nine years older than me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh 
Okay. I'm okay. just joking. But yeah, the old lady is nine years older than me. Okay. Yeah. So she has driver's license. Mm-hmm. And there's the two of you. Mm-hmm. Nobody else knows. You don't know anybody else in the family yet. Mm-mm. No friends, no anything. Mm-mm. You go, you have the test. <laughs> She takes me, she took me to the Forestville Clinic. And when I went in, she's like, it's okay, I'm gonna be right here when you come back. I said, okay, cool, yes, I have somebody I can talk to, now I can start telling her more stuff. When I hit the corner to come back, I saw my aunt sitting next to her. No, she didn't. And if looks could kill, oh my gosh, her memorial service would have been that night. (laughs) It would have been that night. I couldn't believe this joker had went and called, and then she called the really strict aunt. Oh my gosh, she called her and my Aunt Wanda is sitting there and she's like, so what are you gonna do? Now what? I'm like, I don't wanna answer this question right now. Like, I'm, I'm here. And she said, well, do you know who the father is? And I said, yes. Okay, because we're gonna call him. I said, oh man, here we go. Here we go. So at that point, from that point forward, the situation was just totally out of your control. It was. Cause it didn't hit the fan then, she knew. <laughs> she knew, I could probably handle anybody else knowing but her, okay. no. Who no. told your mom? <laughs> so she gave me, believe it or not, she gave me the option of telling myself, telling for myself, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess I was taking too long. So there was a note that I had written to my sister to say, okay, listen, can you be with me when I tell mom? You know, and this, that, and the other. So I had put it in the room, and my sister put it in my mom's drawer so that she could see it. I said, you know what? You took the coward's way out. Looking back, and we laugh about it now, but she put the note in the drawer. The the crazy part was um, I was immediately shunned because my stepfather started to think that it was his baby. She was shunned by your stepfather. I was step. I was shunned by my mom and my stepfather Why did because your mom she didn't. Well, I in my mind I believe that my mom knew about the molestation, okay. right? Mm-hmm. I believe that she knew, but I don't think she could do anything about it. I don't it. think when we when we heal ourselves mm-hmm. and we talk about our experiences, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any blame or fault. Yeah. I think there Mm-mm. is, you're describing the situation that yep. happened because you don't know what that person's strength or weaknesses were. Exactly. You don't know what their experiences were. Mm-hmm. And so don't look at it as you're saying anything bad about your mom. Or yeah, your no, no, okay. no, no. I okay. don't feel like that at all. And my mom, ta- my mom and I talk about this all the time. Yeah. And yeah. we talk about this all the time now. We have a great relationship. We laugh and joke about, ev- not, you know, the situation, mm-hmm. but we, we we have a really good relationship. There's a lot of healing and deliverance that had to take place. And all of that came from God. And if it were not for him, oh, please. We would be at odds still, you know what I mean? I probably wouldn't even be here. It was so many attempts of suicide. Um, I wouldn't be here. So I I praise God for everything that he's done. And I don't even have any hostility or I hold any animosity towards my stepfather. I forgave him too. Because what you're not going to do is kill me. Or destroy me with all of that hatred and, you know, me being offended by, with the offense. And I'm not, I don't have time for that. Okay, so Miss Fassy, <laughs> how do we go from being 14 and pregnant to homeless? What if I told you that you could stop the negative tape from playing inside your head? What if with seven simple steps, you could leave the pain of the past behind and live every day as your true, authentic self? 
It is possible, and you can do it. The ebook, Seven Simple Steps to Beat Emotional Baggage. How to Become Whole, Healed, Healthy, and Happy. Shares how to resolve emotional baggage. And feel free to live true to your own personality, spirit, and character. Transform negative thinking into positive thinking and become equipped to boldly face your past and resolve emotional pain. Get your free copy at thatanitalive.com slash ebook. So that happened like a long, like, Okay. A long time okay. after so that. So it wasn't like you were like, uh, I'm grown uh -uh. now. No. Oh, no, no, no. My grandmother was not going to see me out on the street and have the neighborhood talk about Miss N Please. That wasn't <laughs> going to happen. There's no way that was going to happen. Okay. But what did happen mm -hmm. was um, it was my, my baby. I had to take care of her. Mm -hmm. And I had to go to school. I had to go to work. Um, uh, two years later, I actually got pregnant again. And mm -hmm. with that baby, I actually gave her up for adoption. Um, and it was kind of like I took like this, I want to say hiatus, right, from being fast. But I did. I, I didn't want, because I was scared at that point. Um, and then I think, I'm trying to think how, how so many kids, I can't even think how old they are. <laughs> so at 19, I had um, another daughter, okay. and um, which was crazy because I actually hid that pregnancy. I don't know why. Um, I think because I was embarrassed. Well, I believe, I know that I was embarrassed. And two, I mean, you didn't want to be labeled as a baby maker. You know what I mean? Um, obviously, there was a lot of issues that I still had from the molestation, from having my daughter at 14. There were a lot of issues that I, that I dealt with, a lot of mental issues that I dealt with. Um, and then in between that, you know, the suicide attempts and, you know, those, those different things. It wasn't until I had my... Um, my baby girl, is when I think I started to kind of, um, like I really lost control, you know what I mean? Like I really, I really lost control. And I remember CPS was called because um, my mom, so my mom and my stepdad had moved to Baltimore. So I was in the house. Um, my grandmother had passed away, so she, the house was basically ours. Um, so we lived in the house, but my mom needed to move back. And so in order for her to move back, you know, we couldn't be in the same place um, because he's a sexual offender at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so we couldn't be in the same house. So when it came back, I don't know who did it, but someone called CPS. CPS went to my kids' school while they were in school. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of it. They talked to them. And the next thing you know, we're being told we have to move out of the house because my mom's coming back. And they were saying that technically the house is my mom's. Um, so we had to move and we didn't have anywhere to go. I stayed with one of my friends um, and she was getting ready to let her apartment go because she couldn't, she had two kids of her own. Mm -hmm. She couldn't afford the rent. I wasn't really, I didn't have a full-time job. I had like a temp job. Mm -hmm. um, so what was the first thing you did that stabilized life for you again? If somebody out there is currently in your situation, what can you tell them? What was that, what was that one step that you took that put you back on solid footing? So two days before we were supposed to surrender the apartment, um, I had went on like this, on this interview for this uh, placement agency. 
And two days before, well, I knew that the, her lease was, you know, going to be over. And so I had made arrangements to go into a homeless shelter because someone told me that bright thing, oh, if you go into a homeless shelter, they'll help you find a house or your apartment. Sure. So not true. Um, and so two days right before we were supposed to go, we, we were in limbo because I really had nowhere else to go. Um, I got a phone call saying that I had gotten the job with this uh uh, placement agency and so her and I talked about it and she's like well I really want to go home because I can't afford it but at that point I could so I said well then if you want to renew the lease then I'll just pay the, the rent um, and I could tell that was weighing heavily on her because you know you don't want it's not even co-signing it's all in your name right. so if I wanted to kind of flee the apartment and didn't want to do this adult thing anymore I could um, but you know Thanks be to God, she ended up staying, too, in the apartment, so we just made it work for that year. And after that, I mean, I worked my butt off, Miss Anita. Like, I really worked my butt off in so that job. at this point, you have, it's yourself and how many children? It's me um, and three kids. And she has two, two. kids. Mm -hmm. So it's two adults and five kids. Mm-hmm, in this two-bedroom apartment. And y'all made it work. But we made it work. Mm -hmm. We made it work. We each paid $400 a piece for um, rent. Um, and we only paid electric. We, we made that thing work, and I worked my butt off at that company. I did. Those people gave me a chance. I worked on Capitol Hill. They gave me the opportunity to really come in and show myself. You think I didn't show myself? Oh, I, I worked. I don't care. I would come in at 6 in the morning. I would leave at 6 in the evening. I did not care. Whatever they wanted me to do, I did it because I really wanted to work. Um, and then that following year, it was a placement agency, but you still had a contract. And then we, the company was acquired by another company, and they saw me, they saw my work ethic, they loved me, and they brought me on. So I went from making $11 an hour to $45,000, and I was only 26 years old at that point. Um, and then I bought my first house on my own, child. <laughs> On my own, yes. And I mean, I just kept going, and I, I did it because I didn't want my kids to ever go through what I went through. I didn't want them to ever be in limbo, um, not knowing where their next meal was going to come from, not knowing where, um, you know, if we were going to have a, pl a place to stay. or You know, I didn't want them to feel that. So I, I worked my tail off. And to this day, I work my way, as you can see. I work my tail off. I do. I do. I, I make sure that they, they see, the person that they see now, that they're proud of her, and they continue to be proud of her. So I, I never want to let them down. I don't want to let myself down. That's so, for sure. So what pushed you to create your own nonprofit? What pushed me to create my own nonprofit, PG County is, you know, it's awesome. I'm not going to say anything bad about it, but it doesn't really have a lot of resources for people um, that come from, you know, where, from where I come from. Um, so if you are a teen parent, whether you are a teen mother, a teen father, it's not a lot of resources. Thank God they have Family Justice Center now in Upper Marlboro. But before then, there weren't a lot of places where you could go to get someone, one, to talk to you and make you feel like you're still human, right? Because when you go to social services, you know, I, I, I've rough. never been it's on rough. welfare, but when I did go because I thought I needed to do that, I mean, they made me feel like I was nothing. So I, I didn't want it. At that point, now listen, my pride back then, <laughs> when they would call me to, you know, to do the interview, you know how they say interview oh, or whatever, yeah. and they make you feel like you're this big, and I remember getting into it with one of those ladies so bad that she went and got my mother, 
to talk to my mother. I was like, listen, if you said anything to her to make her feel like she is nothing, she's not going to talk to you. I mean, I was very headstrong, um, but I had a really nasty attitude. And so for me, it was like, you know what? I don't need your help. I'm going to make this on my own. I'm not going to, you know. Um, I mean, it's just from, you know, that was just hurt, though. That was hurt and anger, you know. But it, one, the, the main reason was because the, PG County just doesn't have any resources. And even now, they still don't really have too many. So how did you overcome that hurt and anger? Prayer. To be honest with you, prayer. Did you, have, you ever have any formal counseling? Um, I did. I actually did. And um, she actually sits on my board right now. <laughs> Yeah, she does. She sits on my board and she helped me with a lot. But before I met her, my pastor, Dr. Robert E. Robinson, okay. when I tell you this man is a true man of God. What's the name of your church? Um, it's called Celestial Infinity. Okay. And it's in Forestville, Maryland. And um, actually, I had just talked to him last week about coming back because I had started going to another church. But I, I need to be with him. Um, He's just such an awesome and powerful man of God, and he helped me with a lot, a lot of that anger, a lot of the hurt that I had, and he, you know, he would, every time I would talk to him to do a counseling session, he would send me to a different scripture, and then he would explain what the, the scripture meant and how it was applicable to what I was going through and how I was feeling, and that helped me a lot. So did, did he, have, did he have, have you journal your feelings at all? Um, he didn't believe in that because he never wanted me to go back to it. Sometimes when we reflect and we start writing things down in the negative sense of how we feel, mm -hmm. and if we, we're ever having a moment and we start to go back to that, what you read is kind of, you, you put, you, you're putting it into your system, right? But, but what about the scripture itself? And the what, scriptures, and the yes. Scripture yes, the scriptures, yes. Mm -hmm. And we just talked about this too. One of my favorite scriptures, that he, the very first scripture he taught me was Psalm 40. Um, or it talks about waiting patiently on the Lord and he inclines unto you and he brings you out, up out of the horrible pit of the mirror clay mm -hmm. and setting your feet upon a rock. That scripture, oh my gosh, I think I stayed in that thing for a long time because it really helped me. That horrible pit, that's where I was. Mm -hmm. You know, and I didn't think I could come out of that. So I stayed there for the longest time and he stood there with me and he helped me and he let me know how God was working on me and he just allowed me to really um one honor how I felt okay and that's the first, very first time someone's ever did that was let allow me to honor how I felt honor the fact that I was mad I was angry I was hurt um everybody else is like come on get past that he's like no she needs to deal with it we're going to deal with this feel it yeah mm -hmm. so the nonprofit, I just want to help mm -hmm has been in existence for for a year and actually we're coming up on our one year anniversary it's on the 24th i believe it is and the mission yeah. is the mission with i just want to help is to um it's a handout to lift up i want to be able to encourage and uplift and empower young men and women it's not just strictly for women it's for men and women who are have gone through or are going through what i've gone through and that's the being a teen parent whether they've been molested whether they have they're homeless or have or borderline homelessness whatever it looks like for them that's similar to the things that i've gone through i wanted to be able to help so i created i just want to help so you've written the book living life through an open window Mm -hmm. What prompted you to actually pin the book? To name it? Why just, did you write the book? Oh, gosh. Um, 
it was a vision that God had given me when I had, I had, I have really bad back issues. This one particular episode with my back, I was down for, I think it was like a month okay. that first time. And during that time, he had given me so many different things and so many revelations had come to me. And when you're flat on your back and you can't do anything for yourself, you'd be surprised <laughs> how great those conversations are with God. And, um, it's just basically it chronicles my journey, like everything that I've gone through. Um, it starts talk, out talking about my molestation and what that looked like for me, but then it goes into my healing, like what happened, how it, what took, what took place on that journey to healing.